This is the 12th chapter of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Titan's Curse. I go snowboarding with a pig. We had arrived on the outskirts of a little ski town nestled in the mountains. The sign said, Welcome to Cloudcroft, New Mexico. The air was cold and thin. The roofs of the cabins were heaped with snow, and dirty mounds of it were piled up on the side of the streets. Tall pine trees loomed over the valley, casting pitch-black shadows, though the morning was sunny. Even with my lion skin coat, I was freezing by the time we got to Main Street, which was about half a mile from the train tracks. As we walked, I told Grover about my conversation with Apollo the night before, how he told me to go seek out Nuris in San Francisco. Grover looked uneasy. That's good, I guess, but we've got to get there first. I tried not to get too depressed about our chances. I didn't want to send Grover into a panic, but I knew we had another huge deadline looming. Aside from saving Artemis in time for her Council of the Gods, the general had said Annabeth would be kept alive until the winter solstice. That was Friday, only four days away, and he said something about a sacrifice, and I did not like the sound of that at all. We stopped in the middle of the town. You could pretty much see everything from there. A school, a bunch of tourist shop stores and cafes, some ski cabins, and a grocery store. Great, Talia said looking around. No bus station, no taxis, no car rental, no way out. There's a coffee shop, Grover said. Yes, Zoe said, coffee is good. And pastries, Grover said dreamily. And wax paper. Talia sighed. Fine, how about you two go get us some food? Percy, Bianca, and I will check in the grocery store. Maybe they can give us directions. We agreed to meet back in front of the grocery store in 15 minutes. Bianca looked a little uncomfortable coming with us, but she did. Inside the store, I found a few valuable things about Cloudcroft. There wasn't enough snow for skiing. The grocery store sold rubber rats for a dollar each. And there was no easy way in or out of the town unless you had your own car. You could call a taxi from El Margaro, the clerk said doubtfully. That's down at the bottom of the mountain, but it'd take at least an hour to get here. Cost several hundred dollars. The clerk looked so lonely, so I bought a rubber rat. We headed back outside and stood on the porch. Wonderful, Talia grumbled. I'm going to walk down the street and see if anybody in the other shops has any suggestions. But the clerk said, I know, she told me, checking anyway. I let her go. I knew how it felt to be restless. All half-bloods had attention deficit problems because of our inborn battlefield reflexes. We couldn't just stand around waiting around. Also, I had a feeling Talia was still upset over our conversation last night about Luke. Bianca and I stood awkwardly together. I mean, I was never very uncomfortable talking one-on-one -on -one with girls anyway, but I'd never been alone with Bianca before. I wasn't sure what to say, especially now that she was a hunter and everything. Nice rat, she said at last. I set it on the porch railing. Maybe it would attract more business for the store. So, how do you like being a hunter so far? I asked. She pursed her lips. You're not still mad at me for joining, are you? Nah, as long as you know you're happy. I'm not sure happy is the right word with Lady Artemis gone, but being a hunter is definitely cool. I feel calmer somehow. Everything seemed to have slowed down around me. I guess that's the immortality. I stared at her, trying to see the difference. She did seem more confident than before, more at peace. She didn't hide her face under her green cap anymore. She kept her hair tied back, and she looked right at me in the eyes when she spoke. With a shiver, I realized that 500 or 1,000 years from now, Bianca D'Angelo would look exactly the same as she did today. She might be having a conversation like this with some other half-blood long after I was dead. 
but Bianca would still look 12 years old. Nico doesn't understand my decision, Bianca murmured. She looked at me like she wanted assurance that it was okay. He'll be all right, I said. Camp Half-Blood takes in a lot of young kids. They did that for Annabeth. Bianca nodded. I hope we find her. Annabeth, I mean. She's lucky to have a friend like you. A lot of good it did her. Don't blame yourself, Percy. You risked your life to save my brother and me. I mean, that was seriously brave. If I hadn't met you, I wouldn't have felt okay leaving Nico at camp. I figured if there were people like you there, Nico would be fine. You're a good guy. The compliment took me by, su by surprise. Even though I knocked you down and captured the flag, she laughed. Except for that. You're a good guy. A couple hundred yards away, Grover and Zoe came out of the coffee shop loaded with a bunch of pastry bags and drinks. I kind of didn't want to ask them to come back yet. It was weird, but I realized I liked talking to Bianca. She wasn't so bad. A lot easier to hang out than no Zoe Nightshade, anyway. So, what's the story with you and Nico? I asked her. Where did you go to school before Westover? She frowned. I think it was a boarding school in D.C., but it seems like a long time ago. You never lived with your parents? I mean, your mortal parent. We were told our parents were dead. There was a bank trust for us. A lot of money, I think. A lawyer could come by once in a while to check on us. Then Nico and I had to leave that school. Why? She knitted her eyebrows. We had to go somewhere. I remember it was important. We traveled a long way and we stayed in this hotel for a few weeks. And then, I don't know. One day a different lawyer came to get us. He said it was time for us to leave. He drove us back east through DC, then up to Maine, and we started going to Westover. It was a strange story. Then again, Bianca and Nico were half-bloods. Nothing would be normal for them. So you've been raising Nico pretty much all your life? I asked, just the two of you? She nodded. That's why I wanted to join the Hunters, so bad. I mean, I know it's selfish, but I wanted my own life and friends. I love Nico, don't get me wrong. I just needed to find out what I could be not being a big sister 24-7. I thought about last summer, the way I felt when I found out I had a cyclops for a baby brother. I could relate to what Bianca was saying. Zoe seems to trust you, I said. What were you guys talking about, anyway? Something dangerous about the quest? When? Yesterday morning on the pavilion, I said before I could stop myself. Something about the general. Her face darkened. How did you- The invisibility hat. You were eavesdropping? No, I mean, not really. I just... I was safe from trying to explain when Zoe and Grover arrived with drinks and pastries. Hot chocolate for Bianca and me, coffee for them. I got a blueberry muffin, and it was so good I could almost ignore the outraged look Bianca was giving me. We should do the tracking spell, Zoe said. Grover, do you have any acorns left? Um, Grover mumbled. He was chewing on a bran muffin wrapper and all. I think so. I just need to. He froze. I was about to ask what was wrong when a warm breeze rustled past, like a gust of springtime had gotten lost in the middle of winter. Fresh air seasoned with wild flowers and sunshine. And something else, almost like a voice trying to say something. A warning. Zoe gasped. Grover, thy cup! Grover dropped his coffee cup, which was decorated with pictures of birds. Suddenly, the birds peeled off the cup and flew away. A flock of tiny doves. My rubber rat squeaked. It scampered off the railing and into the trees. Real fur, real whiskers. Gover collapsed next to his coffee, which steamed against the snow. We gathered around him, trying to wake him up. He groaned, his eyes fluttering. Hey, Talia said, running up from the street. I just, what's wrong with Grover? I don't know, I said. He collapsed. Uh, 
Grover groaned. Well, get him up, Talia said. She had her spear in hand. She looked behind her as if she was being followed. We have to get out of here. We made it to the edge of the town before the first two skeleton warriors appeared. They stepped from the trees on either side of the road. Instead of gray camouflage, they were now wearing blue New Mexico State Police uniforms. But they had the same transparent gray skin and yellow eyes. They drew their handguns. I'll admit, I used to think that it would be kind of cool to learn how to shoot a gun, but I changed my mind as soon as the skeleton warriors pointed theirs at me. Talia tapped her bracelet. Iagas spiraled to life on her arm, but the warriors did not flinch. Their glowing yellow eyes bored right into me. I drew Riptide, though I wasn't sure how good it would do against guns. Zoe and Bianca drew their bows, but Bianca was having trouble because Grover kept swooning and leaning against her. Back up, Talia said. We started to, but then I heard rustling of branches. Two more skeletons appeared on the road behind us. We were surrounded. I wondered where the other skeletons were. I'd seen a dozen at the Smithsonian. Then one warrior raised his cell phone to his mouth and spoke into it. Except he wasn't speaking. He made a clattering, clicking sound, like dry teeth on bone. Suddenly, I understood what was going on. The skeletons had split up to look for us. These skeletons were now calling their brethren. Soon, we'd had a full party on our hands. It's near, Grover moaned. It's here, I said. No, he insisted. The gift, the gift from the wild. I didn't know what he was talking about, but I was worried about his condition. He was in no shape to walk, much less fight. We have to go one-on-one, -on -one, Talia said. Four of them, four of us. Maybe they'll ignore Grover that way. Agreed, Zoe said. The wild, Grover moaned. A warm wind blew through the canyon, rustling the trees, but I kept my eyes on the skeletons. I remembered the general gloating over Annabeth's fate. I remember the way Luke had betrayed her, and I charged. The first skeleton fired. Time slowed down. I wouldn't say that I could see the bullet, but I could feel its path, the same way I felt water currents in the ocean. I deflected it off the edge of my blade and kept charging. The skeleton drew a baton, and I sliced his arm at the elbow. Then I swung Riptide through his waist and cut him in half. His bones unknit and clattered to the asphalt in a heap. Almost immediately, they began to move, reassembling themselves. The ske second skeleton clattered his teeth at me and tried to fire, but I knocked his gun into the snow. I thought I was doing pretty well, until the other two skeletons shot me in the back. Percy! Talia screamed. I landed face down in the street. Then I realized something. I wasn't dead. The impact of the bullets had been dull, like a push from behind, but they hadn't hurt me. The Nemean lion's fur. My coat was bulletproof. Talia charged the second skeleton. Zoe and Bianca started firing arrows at the third and fourth. Grover stood there and held his hands out to the trees, looking like he wanted to hug them. There was some crashing in the forest to our left, like a bulldozer. Maybe the skeleton's reinforcements were arriving. I got to my feet and ducked a police baton. The skeleton I'd cut in half was already fully reformed, coming after me. There was no way I could stop them. Zoe and Bianca fired at the heads point blank, but the arrows just whistled straight through their enemy's skulls. One lunged at Bianca, and I thought she was a goner, but she whipped out her hunting knife and stabbed the warrior in the chest. The whole skeleton erupted into flames, leaving behind a pile of ash and a police badge. How did you do that? Zoe asked. I, I don't know, Bianca said nervously. Lucky stab? Well, do it again. Bianca tried, but the remaining three skeletons were now wary of her. They pressed it back against us, keeping the batons at length. Plan, I said as we retreated. Nobody answered. The trees behind the skeletons were shivering. Branches were crackling. A gift, Gover muttered. And then, with a mighty roar, the largest pig I'd ever seen came crashing into the road. It was a wild boar, 30 feet high with a snotty pink snout, and tusks the size of canoes. 
His back bristled with brown hair, and its eyes were wild and angry. Reet! It squealed and raked three skeletons aside with its tusks. The forest was so great, they went flying over the trees and into the sides of the mountains, where they smashed to pieces, thigh bones and arm bones twirling everywhere. Then the pig turned on us. Tully raised her spear, but Grover yelled, Don't kill it! The boar grunted and pawed up to the ground, ready to charge. It's the Amethian boar, Zoe said, trying to stay calm. I don't think we can kill it. It's a gift, Grover said, a blessing from the wild. The boar said, Reet! and swung its tusks at us. Zoe and Bianca dived out of the way. I had to push Grover so he wouldn't get launched into the mountain on the boar tusk express. Yeah, I feel blessed, I said. Scatter! We all ran in different directions, and for a moment, the boar was confused. It wants to kill us, Talia said. Of course, Grover said. It's wild. So how is that a blessing, Bianca asked. It seemed a fair question to me, but the pig was offended and charged her. She was faster than I realized. She rolled out of the way of its hooves and came behind the beast. It lashed out with its tusks and pulverized the welcome to Cloudcroft sign. I racked my brain, trying to remember the myth of the boar. I was pretty sure Hercules had fought this thing once, but I couldn't remember how he'd beaten it. I had a vague memory of the boar plowing down several Greek cities before Hercules managed to subdue it. I hoped Cloudcroft was insured against giant wild boar attacks. Keep moving, Zoe yelled. She and Bianca ran in opposite directions. Grover danced around the boar, playing his reed pipes, while the boar snorted and tried to gouge him. But Talia and I won the prize for bad luck. When the boar turned on us, Talia made the mistake of raising Igis in defense. The sight of Medusa's head made the boar squeal in outrage. Maybe it looked too much like one of its relatives? The boar charged us. We only managed to keep ahead of it because we ran uphill, and we could dodge in and out of trees while the boar had to plow through them. On the other side of the hill, I found an old stretch of train tracks, half buried in the snow. This way, I grabbed Talia's arm and we ran along the rails while the boar roared behind us, slipping and sliding as it tried to navigate the steep hillside. Its hooves were just not made for this, thank the gods. Ahead of us, I saw a covered tunnel. Past that, an old trestle bridge spanning a gorge. I had a crazy idea. Follow me! Talia slowed down. I didn't have any time to ask why, but I pulled her along and she reluctantly followed. Behind us, a ten-ton pig tank was knocking down pine trees and crushing boulders under its hooves as it chased us. Talia and I ran into the tunnel and came out the other side. No! Talia screamed. She turned as white as ice. There was the edge of the bridge. Below us, the mountain was dropped away into snow-filled gorge about 70 feet below. The boar was right behind us. Come on, I said. It'll hold our weight. Probably. I can't! Talia yelled. Her eyes were wild with fear. The spore smashed into the covered tunnels, tearing through it at full speed. Now, I yelled at Talia. She looked down and swallowed. I swear she was turning green. I didn't have time to process why. The boar was charging through the tunnel, straight towards us. Plan B. I tackled Talia and sent us both sideways off the edge of the bridge into the side of the mountain. We slid on Igis like a snowboard over rocks, mud, and snow, racing downhill. The boar was less fortunate. It couldn't turn that fast, so all ten tons of the monster charged out onto the tiny trestle, which buckled under its weight. The boar, free-falling into the gorge with a mighty squeal and landed in the snowdrift with a huge poof. Talia and I skidded to a stop. We were both breathing hard. I was cut up, bleeding. Talia had pine needles in her hair. Next to us, the wild boar was squealing and struggling. All I could see was the bristly tip of its back. It was wedged completely in the snow like a styrofoam packaging. 
It didn't seem to be hurt, but it wasn't going anywhere either. I looked at Talia. You're afraid of heights. Now that we were safely down the mountain, her eyes had their usual angry look. Don't be stupid. That, that explains why you freaked out on Apollo's bus. Why you didn't want to talk about it. She took a deep breath, then brushed the pine needles out of her hair. If you tell anyone, I swear. No, 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 I said. It's cool. It's just the daughter of Zeus, the lord of the sky, afraid of heights. She was about to knock me into the snow when above us, Grover's voice called, Hello! Down here, I shouted. A few minutes later, Zoe, Bianca, and Grover joined us. We stood watching the wild boar struggle in the snow. A blessing of the wild, Grover said, though he looked a little agitated. I agree, Zoe said. We must use it. Hold up, Talia said irritably. She still looked like she'd lost a fight with a Christmas tree. Explain to me why you're so sure this pig is a blessing. Grover looked over, distracted. It's our ride west. Do you have any idea how fast this boar can travel? Fun, I said. Like pig cowboys. Grover nodded. We need to get aboard. I wish I wish we had more time to look around, but it's gone now. What? What's gone? Grover didn't seem to hear me. He walked over to the boar and jumped on its back. Already the boar was starting to make some headway through the drift. Once it broke free, there'd be no stopping it. Grover took out his pipes. He started to play a snappy tune and tossed an apple in front of the boar. The apple floated up and spun right above the boar's nose. The boar went nuts, straining to get it. Automatic steering, Talia murmured. Great. She trudged over and jumped on behind Grover, which still left plenty of room for the rest of us. Zoe and Bianca walked towards the boar. Wait a second, I said. Do you two know what Grover's talking about, this wild blessing? Of course, Zoe said. Did you not feel it in the wind? It was so strong. I never thought I'd sense that presence again. What presence? She stared at me like I was an idiot. The Lord of the Wild, of course. Just for a moment, in the arrival of the boar, I felt the presence of Pan.